I want to ask you a question this morning as you turn to Luke 4. We're going to continue on this journey in a series called Life in the Spirit. And we have been looking at Jesus's temptations, and we find there are three of them. And I want to assure you there are a whole lot more than just three. Luke and Matthew just records three. But they, he was tempted during the 40 days that he was in this wilderness. And I've got a question for you this morning as we continue on now to the second temptation, and it's this. Has God stirred a goal and a plan in your heart? You know what a goal, the difference between a goal and a plan, the goal is where you're going, the plan is how you get there. I want you to right now on the back of your bulletin where it says sermon notes there, I want you to just write down maybe something that God has been stirring in your heart this past week, this past month, year, um, but what goal and what plan for that goal has God been speaking to your heart? Okay, you understand that? You know, when I was a boy, I don't know, eight, ten years old, we just really got into this muscle building type of thing. Because as kids, I mean, and especially me, I was like a toothpick. I was scrawny. My mom said, Michael, drink your milk or, you'll, or the wind will blow you away. And you can imagine what went through my mind at that moment. Oh, my goodness, I better drink my milk. And so we would pick up the, you know, we read through the boys' magazines and stuff like this. And you, rem you know what I'm talking about, where there's this cartoon. A bully is walking along on the beach and kicks sand in this boy's face, and, or young man's face, and he stands up. And he's embarrassed because he was, his sand was kicked in his face, and now he's got to defend himself because it happened in front of his girlfriend. Okay, well, actually, he's too skinny to have a girlfriend. That's just probably his sister, right? And so he, he stands up, and the bully says, so what are you going to do about it? And he kind of cowers away and just says, nothing, nothing, you're fine. And then the ad comes. You, too, can have muscles. It takes just five to ten minutes a day, and before you know it, you're going to have all of these muscles and be trim. And so the next then it ends with this little cartoon, right, in which the bully, same bully, comes by, kicks the sand, and then you see this guy, and apparently he's lying on top of a towel. It's just that he's so big you can barely see the towel, right? You know what I'm talking about. And he stands up, and this he's got a V chest. He's got huge arms, no neck, right? And of course, somehow he grew two feet, right? And he is just this monster of a man because why? He's been working out five to 10 minutes every day. Now, that is a pipe dream. Sorry, guys, if you're eight to 10 years old and you don't know this, it doesn't happen that way. And it takes a whole lot more than five to 10 minutes every day, okay? Or how about this one? Or, or, there's a, a weight loss plan in which you can eat anything you want in any amount that you want, and they show the before and after photos, and you're like, what? Lose 30 pounds in 30 days and 110 pounds in three months. And the problem is, number one, they don't know how to do their math, right? Number two, it's impossible. You can't eat all that you want and still lose weight like that, unless it's just ice cream, okay? You know, one of those ice cream diets. I've actually heard someone throw that at me. Yeah, I'm on an ice cream diet. And I said, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I just eat ice cream. That's all I eat. <laughs> and apparently he gets sick of ice cream, so he doesn't eat anything for three months, right? And we have these plans and these goals, right, and, and weight loss. Here's, here's one. Here's some helpful diet tips. Are you ready for this? I'm not sure how this works, but apparently it does. Number one, if no one sees you eat it, it has no calories. So I've heard. Number two, if you drink a sugar-free can of pop along with a candy bar, they cancel out each other. 
Number three, when eating with someone else, calories don't count if you, if you both eat the same amount, right? Number four, food used for medicinal purposes never counts, such as hot chocolate, toast, and Sara Lee cheesecake. Number five, if you fatten up everyone, around, everyone else around you, you look a whole lot thinner. And lastly, movie-related foods don't count because they're simply part of the entire entertainment experience and not part of one's personal fuel, such as milk duds, popcorn with butter, and candy-coated almonds. Now, honestly, there is something about these plans that, I don't know, spiritually, they just don't jive with me, right? Honestly, I think you can see through these plans. And, and I'm going to let you know, I believe that God has a plan for your life, a goal with a plan. It might be in the area of ministry. And by the way, all of you who are in Christ have been called to a ministry and those ministries throughout your life might look different, but he has called you to ministry. It might just be one moment of act of God pouring his love through you to someone else, but you are called to ministry. And when, when, and when that ministry expands, God is gonna prepare you for that ministry. God prepared Jesus as we look through Luke 4. God prepared Jesus in the wilderness. And I'm gonna tell you this, the enemy's gonna come by and he's gonna whisper a plan B into your ear that looks so attractive. Let me read to you from Luke chapter four, verses one through eight, and then conclude with verse 14. Let's discover what some of the elements of this plan of God in your life might look like. Verse one, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, as he does with each of these three temptations, Jesus answered it is written. Now here he quotes from Deuteronomy 8, the others he quotes from Deuteronomy 6. This is what he says, man does not live on bread alone. The devil, here's temptation number two that we're going to look at today. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 13 and 14, when the devil had finished all these tempting, all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now, last week, we noticed that Jesus, after his baptism slash anointing in chapter three, he returns from the Jordan full of the Spirit. And then we see here in verse 14 that when after the wilderness experience, then he returns to Galilee from that wilderness in what? In the power of the Spirit. Now, we're going to look at what follows and why that's significant in the power of the Spirit in two weeks. 
<clears throat> what we learned last week was that Jesus was not, listen to this, Jesus was not exempt. Even though he was the son of God, he was not exempt from his need to find his strength in the Father. And in that first temptation, he makes it clear, man does not live by bread alone. In other words, God's going to take care of my needs. I'm going to choose to focus on, and this is what Matthew, Matthew finishes out the quote, and he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we looked at the nation of Israel and how they were tempted and their cup, if you will, was shaken. And we saw what came out. Do you remember what came out? It was, it was complaining. It was fears when they're against the Red Sea and the, uh, the Pharaoh and his army were pressing in and hemming them in. There was fear and Moses stood up in the gap for them, parted the Red Sea. And you remember how that went. <clears throat> when there was no water, when there was no bread, complaints, grumbling, wondering, are God's promises true? God brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery and hard labor and trials and difficulties beyond our imagination, and he brought them into the wilderness where they were going to be tested. Now, it should have lasted for only about a year because they camped out at Mount Sinai for one year, and then they were going to head into the promised land. But you remember how that story went too. Continuous grumbling. Every time God shook their cup, you know what came out. Grumbling, fear, lack of trust, no reliance upon God that he will fulfill his promises. Can I ask you, what promises has God begun to illuminate you with? What has God called you to? Because this promised land represents those fulfilled promises of God in your life, the outpoured grace of God in your life, and that anointed ministry that God has for you that we're going to look at here in two weeks in Jesus's life. And that is for you, but you've got to go through the wilderness first. And we're trying to discover why we need this wilderness. And last week we realized, ah, it, Jesus lets us know this. He had to source the Father. He had to trust him for every provision that he had. And that God would always be good to his promises. Just as he was with Israel, so he will be with Jesus. And so he will be, my friends, with you. We trust the Father. That is absolutely crucial. If you want to walk in the full promises of God, we have got to get that down. Now, the second temptation is different. This temptation, this second temptation, is not a temptation for Jesus to bend his knee before the devil. That is not the temptation. That's what he's asked to do, but that's not the temptation. The temptation is this. God has a plan, and Satan has a plan. <clears throat> God's plan, excuse me, tell you what, let me... Uh, let me start with the devil's plan. The devil's plan, I'm going to call that plan B. The devil's plan is to give Jesus, and we read it here, the authority and splendor of all the kingdoms of the world in exchange for what? Jesus' alliance. That's really what the devil is asking of Jesus. If you worship me, if you bend the knee, 
in homage to me, which is what a servant does to his Lord, that then would demonstrate Jesus yielding to the devil in exchange for in exchange for the authority and splendor of all the kingdoms of the world. That sounds rather attractive, doesn't it? God has a very similar goal. God's goal, his plan A, keep your finger here in Luke 4, but turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2. And it says this in verse 7. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. That is God's promise to his son. Now, we read it from David's lips, David's pen, but this is what many theologians call a messianic psalm. That means even though it's specifically in the context referring to David, it goes well beyond that and it applies to the coming Messiah. And so it is this, that God the Father will give to his son Jesus all the ends of the earth. This, my friends, will happen. My prayer is that it would happen in my day. My prayer is that Jesus will, his rule will extend from sea to sea. Psalm 72 tells me this. He's going to do this. God's plan <coughs> is very similar to the very one that Satan proposes to him. God's promise is to give his son all the nations as his inheritance. You see, both plans, though they're very similar goals, the details of each plan are strikingly different. First, here's my question. Does Satan possess the authority and splendor of the kingdoms of the world? <clears throat> I mean, we need to ask, is his offer even legit that he's putting on the table? <clears throat> Colossians 1.13, excuse me one second. <clears throat> Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That word dominion is the Greek word exousia that's literally translated authority, the authority of darkness. It says that you were under that authority or, well, translated dominion, each of us were under that dominion of darkness. It's a kingdom that Satan, Satan had rulership over you. He possessed you. You were his. You were in his camp. You were under his rule, his authority. So the nations truly are under Satan's authority. <clears throat> In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul calls Satan the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. That is the spiritual atmosphere of this world. Not the physical atmosphere like we shoot rockets up into the air. I'm talking about a spiritual atmosphere in this world from which Satan rules. And he rules this world. 
I think it's very interesting when Jesus comes back. Where does he come back to? That, that first Thessalonians chapter four says, it says, when Jesus comes back, <clears throat> excuse me, he says, the dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air. You see, Jesus at the end of the age, when he comes back and he is gonna exercise complete dominion everywhere, he comes back to the air to meet the devil who is the ruler of the air to take possession again of what God has created. I find this so ironic that Satan, though now he's the ruler of the air, Jesus is going to come back to his domain, the air, and he is going to exercise authority. And though Satan was bound at the cross, he will be completely destroyed and overcome when Jesus comes back. That is God's plan. It is a plan, though, that takes thousands of years. Finally, John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. Let me just remind you, though, that even though these titles are given to the devil, God is still the king of kings and Lord of lords. Satan is merely a rogue underlord and has presently led many astray. And thereby, because of their sin, they have yielded their authority to him. So because of sin in our lives, in the world's lives, the people of this world, they have yielded the authority over themselves to the devil. That's how this works. So does Jesus possess the authority and splendor of the kingdoms of the world? Yes, he does in this present day. Yes, he does. This is a legit offer that he is giving to Jesus. <clears throat> Second, though, we need to see that there are several differences between God's plan A and the devil's plan B. And I'm going to go through them quickly, and then I'm going to touch on each one more at depth. Just write three words down. Timing, cost, life. Timing, cost, life. In God's plan A, the timing is totally different. God's plan will require thousands of years. For Jesus' kingdom to extend from sea to sea, thousands of years. It's been 2,000 so far. And, until Je and, and if Jesus continues to tarry, of course, it's going to be more. But God's plan takes time. Satan's plan, only seconds. All you got to do, Jesus, is bend the knee. How long does that take? From here to here, bend the knee. We're done. I give you all the kingdoms of the world. Forget about anything else. The difference is timing. Number two, the difference is cost. God's plan will require a huge sacrifice. Church, you know what that is? It's the, hello, cross, right? A huge sacrifice. It'll cost him his life. What a huge sacrifice. Satan's plan preempts sacrifice and is a whole lot easier. I'm just going to give it to you. I'm just going to give oh, Here's one thing you have to do. I'm going to give it. It's all yours. And then number three, life. God's plan, God's plan for your life will always bring about true life. Not just in you, but he's gonna use you as his instrument to bring life to others. We're gonna need to unwrap that a little bit, right? 
Satan's plan brings only eventual destruction. You remember Galatians 6, 8, sow to the flesh and you will reap what? Help me out, church. Destruction. Sow to the spirit and you will reap what? Eternal life. 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 So as the spirit flows through you, what comes out? Say it loudly for me. Life. Life. But if we sow to the flesh, if we sow to Satan's plan, if we sow to what I want in this life, forget God's timing, forget the cost, forget this concept of life, yeah, whatever. God, Satan's plan can seem so much more attractive and we can become beguiled by it. But it brings destruction. Actually, Satan's plan B is really no plan at all. The muscle building program, that's really no plan at all. That Weight Watchers program, that's really no plan. No, it's not Weight Watchers, but weight loss plan. Sorry, Weight Watchers. Weight loss plan. It's really no plan at all. Satan's plan is no plan at all because he's telling you, look, all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus, I'm going to give to you. Now, Jesus serves the devil, and he comes under the devil's authority. You see where he's going with this. So if Jesus has just received all the authority of the kingdoms, and now he's under the authority of the devil, did the devil even lose anything? No, he kept it all. Thank you, Donald. He kept it all. He says he's going to give the, the nations away to Jesus, but if Jesus serves them, he keeps them all. That's no plan at all. Now, what I want to do is I want to go back and I want to look at each of these in a little bit more depth. Number one, God's timetable for his plan A. Number one, God's timetable for his plan A. I want you, as we go through these three, I want you to look at what you wrote down first on the back of the bulletin or in your sermon notes. What goal and what plan has God been speaking to your heart? What is God stirring in you. I'm going to tell you this, that God's goal and plan in your life is going to have something to do with the brokenness of this world and how he's going to use you in the brokenness of this world. Just a clue. If you're looking for purpose in life, an anointed ministry, it's going to have something to do with God using you to bring healing to this broken world. So God's plan A. His timetable is just so different. God's timetable for his plan A is so different. His, his plans usually take time. It cannot be hurried. His timing, you know, word it this way, it's flexible. It's elastic. How many times when you, did God speak to your heart, don't worry, I'm going to take care of this. Yeah, but he came through at the 11th hour, 59th minute, 59th second, thank you, Lord, right? And he's the one who says a thousand years is like a day gone by and a day like a thousand years, right? Okay, so God, if it's going to take you a day to do something, does that mean I got to wait a thousand years? Well, there are men in the Bible, women in the Bible, in which promises were given and they did not happen overnight. 
Now, Patrick Morley in his book, How God Makes Men, that us men have been going through, and I've been hearing some really good stuff from you guys and how it's been blessing you. I'm encouraged by that. But he uses an illustration on what he calls Bible time, okay? There's God's time, and then there's my time. My time is hurry up already, and God's time is perfect. It's in his timing, he uses illustration, and his timing is like a bungee cord. You get a bungee cord, you look at it, it's two feet long. And then someone grabs the other, or you grab it and you stretch it out, and it's suddenly five feet long. So how long is that bungee cord? Two feet long or five feet long? The right answer is yes. Okay? And from our perspective, it seems like five feet or five years or 50 years, right? And God's timing, it's, it's only two feet. It's only about that big on a small map, right? It's, it's just God's timing is so different. And we always want things to hurry up. We're, in, we're an impatient people. And God's work, his wilderness experience for your life, it may take a while. Church, I pray that it does not. I pray that it does not. But I tell you what, if I want a turkey done right, I am not going to microwave it. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I heard some amens on that. I'll probably call Donald over or ship it to his house and say, hey, Donald, can you smoke this for me? All right. Now, that's going to take how many hours, Donald, for a 20-pounder? Okay, a long time. <laughs> He's doing the math right now. He'll give it to me later. Uh, a long time. And, and God is a slow cooker. He just believes in slow cooking. I tell you what, when something's slow cooked, oh, it tastes so good. But we want, it, we want everything microwave. That's why my wife, by the way, put our microwave in the garage. <laughs> you want to microwave something? That's not what I'm going to do. That's what you're going to do. And you're going to have to walk all the way in there and take care of that yourself. She purposely makes it inconvenient. So how long is that bungee cord? How long is this plan going to take that God has for your life? Is it going to take, is it? Two feet or five feet? Two years, five years, two minutes, five decades? We're impatient. Microwave-oriented, fast food-oriented culture. Satan always offers the shortcut. And I think you know enough about shortcuts. Most of the time, shortcuts, and in my business, with painting vehicles, shortcuts never work, never work. They're not good. They don't last. For Abraham, he took a shortcut. Instead of having to wait, he had Ishmael. Ishmael, now that bred the Arab nations, is a thorn in the side of Israel. What a mistake. Because Moses wanted it microwaved. Excuse me, Abraham wanted it microwaved. Moses, which is my next point, Moses was 40 years old. Moses thought he was God's man of power for the hour at age 40. And God said, nope, I don't think so. At age 80, Moses thought that he was like scum of the earth, that he was like, let me just live my life. You know, I'm finally married. You know, I don't know how she fell in love with me. I guess she managed, but I've got nothing now. I'm just in this wilderness. I have no possessions. I'm a sheep herder, and thank you, Lord, that I'm finally married. But you know what? leave me be. He felt as if where he was at was all that there was for his life. And at age 80, God called him. 
At age 80, Moses did not feel like he was God's man of power for the hour, but God did. Because Moses had been through the wilderness for 40 years to prepare him to lead Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. What is God preparing you for? Whatever it is, I'm going to assure you it's going to take some time. Satan always wants shortcuts. A story was told to me, I don't think it's true, but a story was told to me about a gentleman visiting Russia right before Glasnost in the 80s. And you might remember the upheaval and poverty and such in, in Russia. And, you know, government work always takes longer and is, is incompetent, right? So they say. And this tourist was, and Russia is no exception, this tourist was watching these two Russian guys as they were doing work on the side of the road. One would dig a hole and then move on to dig another one while the guy behind him filled, put the dirt back in the hole. And this went on for several holes, and the tourist it just blew his mind. So in the best Russian that he, and I'm going to translate for your sake because you don't know Russian, right? Neither do I, but I'm going to translate. And the guy comes up to him and he says, I don't understand. Why is it that you're digging the hole and you are filling the hole? And he said, that's because there's only two of us today. And I said, yeah, like what does the third guy do? He said, the third guy plants the tree. <clears throat> Satan's goal is to preempt the timing and plan of God and make it look so attractive because you get right to it. You dig the hole and fill it. <laughs> Real simple. But it is no plan at all, church. It never is. It reaps destruction. Can I ask you? Has God been burdening your heart as of late to be married if you're single? I'm not asking you if you're married, if God, okay, you understand, right, no. God's already, you're married till death do you part. But those of you who are single, has God been stirring something in your heart? I'm going to encourage you, this plan A of God, it might take some time. I don't know how much, but it might take some time. Because God is trying to do something in you. God needed to do something in Abraham, build faith. God needed to do something in Moses, build humility, because he didn't have it when he killed the Egyptian at age 40, thinking, yeah, I'm going to set Israel. He was probably going to lead a coup and probably by military force set them free because he was a prince in Egypt. That was not God's plan whatsoever, because Moses would get the credit for that one, and that would only feed his flesh and his pride. God needed to get the credit and the glory in this, and so he had to humble Moses for 40 years. I don't mean to discourage you, but what if the plan that you wrote down took 40 years? I've thought about that, and I have wept. Oh, Lord, please, no, not 40 years. Uh, it's coming up on 40 years, actually. No, God truly, his timing is elastic. He sees this as such a short time in your life, and we feel like it's forever. And so we want to preempt it. Come on, God, let's get on with this. And Satan's shortcut, it looks so attractive. Let me just marry a guy. He looked at me. Hey, do you... <laughs> Patience. I'm just kidding. 
Mom and Dad, I met a girl at work. I'm in love right now. Wait, hang on. Back the trolley up. God's plan is going to take time. Can you be patient? Can you let him work? It's not just timing, but it is perfect timing. Perfect timing. I'm going to say perfect timing. Write that down next to that plan you wrote down. Perfect timing. That is God's plan for you. Perfect timing. That for us seems like forever, right? But it's perfect. I remember when I was graduating from high school, my senior year at the beginning, God had to straighten me out quickly. But I just, I was telling someone they were going to ask me, so Mike, when you graduate, what are you going to do? I'm going to go to the mission field. As soon as I go, I'm going to the mission field. I was anxious. I wanted to go to the mission field. I was raw, church. I was raw. I had known the Lord for years, but I was raw. God was still pulling insecurities out of my life in a way I didn't even realize. God was still forming character in my life, like big time needed character in my life. But I, I just, I want to get on with my plan or what I thought was God's plan right away. And God had to speak to my heart. And he said, you know what, Mike? And he worded it graciously. You just need some preparation. Truth be told, I needed a lot of preparation, church. But this time in your life is going to be a preparation time. Number two, God's plan is going to require sacrifice. There's going to be a cost to it. And I need to ask you, how much are you willing to pay, so to speak? How much are you willing to sacrifice? Maybe you want to be married. There's going to be a sacrifice in that. Am I not right? There's going to be sacrifice in that. You are so used to living your life as a single. You're so used to doing it your way. And then you marry someone and they want to put the toilet paper on backwards. They want to squeeze the toothpaste from the middle of the tube. You cannot believe it. And of course, they leave the toilet seat up. What on earth? Your world has been turned upside down. This sacrifice. Okay, let's talk about some real sacrifices, okay? you realize that it takes more money than you anticipated. Ever experienced that? It takes a whole lot more money when you're married, not living under mom and dad's roof, a whole lot more money. And you go into this thing somewhat blindsided. Eh, I don't, it's, it's going to work out easy. And then you start crunching the numbers to do your budget. And if you're in my premarital counseling, you do that. You crunch the numbers before you get married. I don't want anyone getting married that I Mary, okay, realizing, what? I had no idea. Yo, yes, you did. Remember several months ago when we went through that and we talked about the budget? Yeah, you did. And there's going to be sacrifice. But here's what I've learned. Man, all of life, all of life is a sacrifice, whether it's being, in, whether it's being married, raising children, uh, Madeline was being gracious as she was talking. We were talking, they were talking about in the singles meeting about, you know, building relationships with people not in your season. Uh, so someone single, building a relationship with someone who's married. And so she was talking about her relationship with Kate, and she just thought, wow, 
there's just so much hard work and sacrifice. I am so glad I'm a single. And of course, everyone, all the singles are laughing. But truth be told, I don't know, church. I loved it all. I loved There was something inside of me when I woke up 2 o'clock in the morning to take care of my little girl who just vomited in her bed. (laughs) You're forgiven, by the way. (laughs) Vomited in her bed, and we got to clean them up. Me being a light sleeper, I was usually the first one awake. But I just thought, man, I love this little girl so much. And, and yeah, I mean, Zach, be praying for Zach for the next couple of months. He's not going to get any sleep at night. But uh, you know what? It's going to be sacrifice. And you learn when you're in God's plan A, sacrifice is not only the substance of life. Sacrifice is a delight. Does that strike you odd? But sacrifice is a delight. Now, some sacrifices are just really hard. I understand that. But life, life is sacrifice. Jesus needed to go to the cross. Satan said, nope. Now, I don't know if Satan knew anything about the cross. I doubt that he did. I seriously doubt that when he caused uh, Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus, He really knew the outcome of that. I seriously doubt that when Satan sent that band of of soldiers to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to pull him before Pontius Pilate and eventually be crucified, I seriously doubt that he understood the implications of the cross and the power of the resurrection that ambushed his plan. I seriously doubt he had any clue about any of this. But I'm going to just tell you this. Satan's plan B is going to come to you. He's going to whisper in your ear. He's not only tell you, hey, I've got a quicker plan, some shortcuts that you can take, but I'm going to make it easy for you. God, he wants to always make things hard. What is up with that? What a cosmic killjoy. I'm going to make it easy. You're going to love my plan B. Oh, yeah. You're going to get to just delight in all the desires, good or evil, in your heart. You're going to love it. And you know what? You will. You will. Maybe for a little while, though. Because when you sow to the flesh, you reap what? Destruction. That's right. And that is part of Satan's plan B. And of course, he doesn't He doesn't put it in bold print. That's the stuff that's in fine print that you got to put your reading glasses on, even if you're a teenager, reading glasses on to be able to read it. But it's in there, and it's going to lead to destruction. But it seems so attractive, so alluring. No sacrifice, no pain, no hardship, no cross to bear, no sacrifice, no laying down of your life. Satan's plan preempts sacrifice and does not remove the obstacles in your life to truly achieve the real goal. Can you imagine if Jesus went with this plan? Even if he didn't have to bend his knee to the devil and the devil just gave him all the kingdoms of the world. There's still a problem, isn't there? And that is why they were serving him in the first place. They had yielded their authority because of what? Because of their sin. 
They were estranged from God because of what? Because of their sin. That sin, that real root issue had to be dealt with. God's plan A for Jesus was the cross. You got to take care of the problem. God is going to build character in your life. It's going to cost you something. Look at the plan again that you wrote down. How much cost do you think there is in that plan? What might God need you to go through in your wilderness, in your own wilderness experience? Some character development? 40 years, God built humility in Moses' life. 40 years. Maybe he wants to toughen us up. When we're young, we think we can take the world by storm, and then we hit our first obstacle, and we fall flat on our face, and we're thinking, whoa, life is a whole lot harder than I thought. There's a whole lot more sacrifice in this than I anticipated. Life is hard. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness to lead Israel 40 years in the wilderness. How about denial of self? It says in what passage is it? Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. It says, Moses denied himself the riches of Egypt's palace. And he decided to identify with his people. And he gave himself to people who were slaves. I mean, does that sound like a, a cool plan to you? I mean, not to me, really. You want to give yourself to slaves? You want to, you have everything, Moses, and you're going to throw it all away so you can do what? Identify with your people. And I'm sure that at that time there was something stirring in his heart. If I'm a Hebrew, I want this injustice to stop. Maybe God would use me to free the slaves. And God began birthing plan A in his heart. So he denied himself the riches of Egypt. He denied himself the attraction of fame, a prince in Egypt to become a shepherd. Egyptians, scripture tells us, hated shepherds. What an unclean job. Disgusting. Really? For us, maybe you could have the title of professional toilet bowl cleaner. That's what it would be like for them. Moses became a professional toilet bowl cleaner. Maybe someone who works with septic tanks in our day. Not very attractive. Do you remember the movie um, with uh, Bart Millard? I can only imagine. We saw that just this past week. And there's a defining moment in Bart Millard's life. He's the author of that song. Apparently, it came to him in 10 minutes, the words and the music in 10 minutes. And he's at a crisis. He is hoping to sign with a major label, and they're having a discussion. There's five, six, seven, eight, I don't know how many uh, representatives from various music companies. And their manager is trying to talk with them. And Bart is getting so impatient. He's, 
standing, walking around, pacing, sit down, stand up. What are they doing? This is taking way too long. Maybe he can't represent us too well. And he goes out there onto the stage, and they're kind of sitting around talking. And he says, so what's your your decision? Are you going to take me on? And one after the other, they said, no, you're not ready. And he is crushed. He is so crushed. He is filled with pride. He begins to rebuke them. You're missing out on the best thing for your, for your label. Uh, I am ready, and, and, and basically, I'm God's gift to men, and he's filled with pride. And the manager afterwards says, dude, I don't know what you just did, but you just tanked every opportunity you had in the present and in the future by what you just displayed there. Whatever you're going through, dude, you need to deal with it right now because there's a major obstacle in your life that God needs to remove. And he knew what it was, but he because he grew up with an abusive dad, and he had never truly forgiven his dad. So he goes back, and he discovers that his dad is sick, and had been sick for quite some time. And so Bart goes to, to work, and he tries as hard as it is to rebuild this relationship with his dad. And finally forgive him. And God has, has, takes him through this wilderness experience to remove this junk. Because church, God's plan A will require sacrifice on your part. And God straightened that out. I'm not going to spoil the movie for you, but I, I actually researched this as far as how Amy Grant played a part in it. And there was a significant part that she played in giving him that song to sing. And here's a man wanting more than any, because his dad rejected him, he wanted the fame and the attraction of the world. And God said, you know what? You have to just plain old die to that. Die to that desire. Because my plan A has nothing to do with that in your heart. Because my plan A has everything to do with my glory, not yours. God's plan A for your life that you wrote down is all about God's glory and none of yours. None of yours. Let's look at number four here. You know what, before we do that, let me just say this word. Maybe for some of you, you have already started to embrace plan B. Before I hit the last point here, maybe you have already started to walk in plan B. And God is beginning to convict you and show you you're heading down the wrong path. Can I just tell you this? God has not given up on you. He is willing to forgive should you ask him to. And he is more than able to redeem his original plan A. And yes, he still has a plan A for your life. He's able to redeem that in your life and be able to work through this plan B if you lay it down to bring about his awesome, amazing plan for your life. But it's still going to take time. It's still going to require sacrifice. I'm going to tell you this, that the end goal will still be this. God's plan always brings life, not only to you, but through you. 
Satan's plan is a mirage of success. It is only a mirage. The closer you get to it, it begins to fade and disappear. It's not real. It's not authentic. Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, that it may minister to their needs according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That is the NIV. The, the Greek literally means to give grace to those who listen. Your wholesome words give grace to those who listen. Grace is more than just God's salvation. Grace is more than just forgiveness. Those are aspects of his grace. Grace, you remember me saying this, I'm going to say it again. Grace is everything that he has that I do not but desperately need. You're going to become an avenue of that grace with your words. You're going to speak grace. You're going to speak life into people's lives. You're going to speak hope. Your words will be, as Proverbs says, a tree of life. They can also bring death, but that's Satan's plan B. God's plan A is life. Ephesians 4.29. 1 Peter 4.10 says, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. We minister life. Satan's substitute plan, plan B yields weariness, frustration, heartache, discouragement, discontent with God even turning away from him. And yes, sin, sourcing self instead of God. Moses delivering Israel from bondage at age 40. See, that was Satan's plan B. Moses at age 80, delivering Israel from the bondage of Egypt. That was God's plan A. Moses walked in both of them. Moses stepped into plan B, and he realized how tragic a mistake that was. And I'm sure that he repented. He killed someone unnecessarily. And God redeemed it. God's plan A, when it comes to marriage, means marrying someone who is a godly person to love. Satan's plan B means marrying an ungodly person or the person at the wrong time to be loved. Do you see the difference? Retirement, let me just throw that out as an example. A retirement is an opportunity to serve. That's God's plan A. Satan's plan B is that it becomes an opportunity for you to indulge. Evangelism and God's plan A is to reach your co-workers with the power of the gospel. Satan's plan B is to shut up and be a good employee. Don't talk about Jesus. He's divisive. God's plan A with regard to recognition. Sorry, there is none. He wants you to be used. He wants you to be used for him. Satan's plan B, make it big. God has called you to bring life. And the last thing, I'm only going to take like one minute on it, number four, because we're going to talk about it more later in two weeks, but it's that God's plan A requires him. If your plan that you wrote down there is big enough for you to do, I'm going to encourage you, scrap it. It's too small. Because God is going to give you a plan 
that you can't do with your smarts, with your abilities, with your skill, with your know-how, with all of the books that you have read on whatever subject it is, you're not going to be able to do that plan. God is going to give you a plan that you're going to be forced to rely upon him. Because if it's too easy for you, it's going to be so easy for you to just step in and say, God, you know what? I got this. I got this. I can do this. God wants to bring you to a point where you were saying about that plan that you're starting to walk in it and it's hard and it's taking time and sacrifice and you're just wondering, is the goal worth it to bring life like this? And if you are not careful and you start sourcing self and your own abilities, you're going to find just how unable you are. God wants to get the glory. And we're going to see more of this later. But church, I want to ask you this question. To what degree do you really need God in that plan of yours? How much of God do you need? I'm going to have us close in prayer right now. We've been throwing out a lot of ideas. And I want you to look hard at that piece of paper and that plan that you've written down. And I want to ask you this, is that God's plan for you? And maybe some of you are saying, well, I don't know. That's fine, because God is going to tweak it. He may choose to just totally revamp it. That's up to him. But he's going to show you. He's going to lead you. God has a marvelous plan. So many, actually, it's not just one plan. God has many plans for you. God has a ministry. He may have many ministries for you. He's going to prepare you for everyone. He's going to take you through that wilderness. And what you're going to just begin to wonder, God, are you even in this plan? Where are you? Let me just see the breadcrumbs, see the fingerprints somewhere in this plan because right now I can't see it. God's timing is different than yours. The sacrifice, don't go for the easy plan. Can you stand with me? Can you just take that plan that you wrote down and offer it up to the Lord? Just like Abraham on the altar, ready to sacrifice his son. And if he had to follow through, what amazing faith he had. Hebrews tell us, tells us he, was, he believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Oh my goodness, that makes my faith look so tiny. I mean, imagine he believed that if he had to follow through with this, God could raise his son from the dead. And if God is telling you right now, lay that plan down, maybe there's a little bit too much of you in it and not enough of him. Maybe it's too easy. Maybe there's no sacrifice. Maybe the timing is all wrong. Lay it down and let God raise up his plan, resurrect it according to his timing, according to his plan, and not yours. And let me tell you this. It will be so worth it, so worth it. Father, I just ask you, Lord, right now, you would step into these thoughts of ours. Help us sort them out. 
that, Father, whatever you're truly calling us to, may we be saying in response, here I am. I am your servant. Not my will, but yours be done. I am called in this life to serve and not be served. I am yours, God. Whatever you have to do, I bend my knee. I do not bend it to the evil one. I bend it to you and before your plan. So God, have your way. I will worship no other God. I will serve no one else but you. God, you have my heart. As we leave this place, Spirit of God, help us as we sort through this, as we pray through these truths that we've learned today. And I ask you, Father, reconcile them in our hearts and empower us for your plan A. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want prayer this morning, I'm just going to encourage you, come on up. Love to be able to pray for you. Find someone else. You don't have to be up here. Find